So I, I pray that this morning as we go into today's message, which is different. Normally we're preaching through the book of First John, and, and here we have one particular week, just one week where we're going to talk about fasting, because we're going to enter into a time of fasting corporately as a church body over the course of this month, um, where we're going to do what we just sang. God, we're hungry for you, and we want to come in this month if you would just grant us the grace for this month to offer all of ourselves to you this month, what would you do over the course of this fall? What would you do through this church over the course of the next years? If we would, we would concentrate all of our efforts, if we would discipline ourselves for the course of this month to offer all of ourselves to you this month, would you grant us the grace to continually do that after for the next month and the next month? Because I know I can't do it on my own power. I can't offer all of myself to Jesus. I'm too selfish. I'm too sinful. But what would it be like if he granted it to us just for this month? The discipline and the focus to do it this month. Would he do it again? Would he do it again? Would he amaze us with his goodness? And what he could possibly do through us in the city of Rock Hill and even farther? I've been I've been praying for you. Um. Over the course of this week, continually, and so as we go into this this time, um, I've I've honestly I've over prepared. I have too much to say, which is if you know me at all, that's not uncommon. Um, <laughs> and so I've prayed, Lord, help me be concise. Um, but more than me being concise, I, don't, I you know, I've prayed for your heart to to hear. From Jesus, your heart to receive his word and for you to be challenged. Listen, this is very key. For you to be challenged this month, not by guilt saying, "Ah, I should do that. I should want that so bad. I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm not interested in that. And I'm not sure. I mean, God, he can use that. But that not that you'd be motivated by guilt or just, oh, I should do that. But that you would see the mercies of the cross, you would see the greatness of Jesus, and you would start feeling a desperation in your soul, a deep desire in your soul for Jesus just to come move mightily in your life, in your family, and just continually move that concentric circle out. Not just your life, not just your family, but your job and your business and your co-workers and then your church and your city. Can you just imagine the endless possibilities. If God did that in our hearts. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're fasting for. That's what we're asking this month. Lord, would you, would you come and amaze us this month? I'm going to talk about the details about it as we go through it. But before we jump in, I want to pray and ask that he would, he would come this morning. Let's pray. Father, I I need you. We all we all need you. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would come and offer all of ourselves as we listen this morning. As you call us, maybe all of us in this room, as you call us to a focus, a, a month of intense prayer and fasting for you to come, for you to be mighty, for you to grant to us an an opportunity to see salvation on a grand scale, an opportunity to, to identify sin in our life on a grand scale, an opportunity to <clears throat> not just see the opportunities in our lives to share the gospel, but the boldness to share the gospel when we have them because we have them all the time. Lord, I pray for myself. Lord, please help me speak lovingly and kindly this morning. And God, that I would um, encourage and motivate by grace. We need you this morning, Father, to come by the Spirit, and teach us and open our hearts. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so we are uh, going to be talking about fasting. So I just want to make a couple clarifications. Just put some um, some qualifiers in before we go in, so we, we know every, every um, everybody knows what we're talking about. The first thing, as we're talking about fasting, there's one little misunderstanding that could happen when I say that we we can pray for a mighty move of God in in our church and in our lives. Um, let me start by by prefacing this. Um, I am not saying, and I'm not saying that this fast is about this at all. Everybody hear this. I am not saying that this fast is so that Remedy Church can grow numerically. That is not what this fast is about at all. I honestly could care less that we grow numerically. Okay, so that is not what this fast is about at all. This fast is instead um, about the people that are in Remedy Church here now. That we would, we would find ourselves wanting to be just enamored with God. That we would find ourselves having this desire within us. A homesickness for God. That He would come and for people that are here now. That our, our walks with Jesus would be strengthened. That the people that would be here now would find more sin in their life. Identify it and put it to death. That the people that are here now would have their marriages be strengthened. The people that are here now would be used by him to not build this church, but build the kingdom in Rock Hill so that we see more people come to Christ in Rock Hill. And when they're converted, they just go where they where they I mean, if, if a church is preaching the gospel, may they go wherever God calls them. So I just wanted to, to kind of put that out there that we're not fasting that our church would get bigger at all. Instead, we're fasting that God would change our hearts and that we would want to grow into Christ here now. Um, I'm going to tell you the who's and the what's and, and the when's and the where's and the why's of fasting and how, because some of us might not have ever thought about fasting, um, wh- why it's Christian, why we should do it, wh- what's biblical about it. We're going to do all that. And then lastly, I want to end with the, with the why now. I think that's really the most important question is, okay, you've explained fasting to me and some of you might already understand fasting and have done fasting plenty of times. So the key question in all of it after I've talked is the, is the why now, which I'm going to get to. I promise I will get to that. Um, it's an amazing gift that God has given us to be able to have appetites and feel hunger. I think that's an amazing gift. Um, feeling the desire to want to eat or to want to have food is a gift from God. Why would I say it's a gift? Here's why. Um, it helps us to understand how badly we want something. If, if you've, and, and also what it's like to not get it. If you've gone a meal or two without eating, your body quickly reminds you, hey, I really want you to put something in here. I need something bad. And so um, whenever we feel that that physical reminder, whenever we miss two or three meals and we have this physical reminder, um, it's a gift from God because we can say, all right, I have felt physically what it's like not to have food. Fasting is about letting ourselves feel these desires to want to have something so that we can say, all right, with the way I feel physically right now to have food, more so than that, God, would you give me that desire spiritually to have you right now? Because you've given me this gift to feel hungry and I know what it's like to want something. Would you grant me that gift spiritually so that I can feel deep down in my soul a desire to have more of you now? So it's a good gift to us to have appetites and to have emotions and be able to feel these things. Um, and so every time we have hunger pains, we want to say, God, as much as I physically want food right now, constantly, as much as I want food right now, more than that, I want you to come right now and move spiritually in my life and in my church. So that's why we fast. That's one of the reasons why we fast. Now, how is fasting different how is Christian fasting specifically different than other fasting? Because, I mean, if you, if you look around, not just Christians fast. Um, people fast for a lot of reasons. Um, other religions can, can fast, but whenever they fast, it's designed as a work that basically says, if I do this, then you, my little G God, my little D deity, you're now obligated to do something for me. That's why they fast, and that's not why we fast as Christians. 
Um, If we're saved by grace through faith. Then fasting works the same way. We fast and God may by grace see our faith and grant us what we're fasting for. So other religions might fast, but it's not Christian fasting. Some people um, fast for just for dieting or I was listening to some sermons this past um, this past week on fasting. And one guy said that he was reading from a website and he said that uh, a fasting international website said that you can relieve the toxic waste dump inside of your body. And so some people just fast to get rid of what is the toxic waste dump inside of our body. And I'm not sure if we actually have a toxic waste dump inside of our body. They probably were just shooting out some propaganda to try to get people to fast. But um, the point is, is um, if you're looking to this August fast, when I announced it last week, you're like, yes, I want to go through that fast because I've been wanting to drop a few pounds and relieve the toxic waste dump in my body. It works great. I can fast for Jesus and lose some weight. Um, you're, you're not you're not approaching the fast of Remedy Church with the right mindset. We're, we're not we're not warning you. And maybe that might happen. You know, praise Jesus if it does. We could all probably lose a few pounds here and there. Um, not saying that we all need to. All right, that was wrong to say. But my point is this: um, I don't want us to just enter it in saying, "Hey, you know, drop some pounds and do something for Jesus." That's that's not why we're fasting. All right. We're not fasting just to drop a few pounds. Christian fasting, which let me just say from the beginning, is assumed by Jesus that we'll do it, but not commanded by Jesus that we must do it. Did you catch that? Christian fasting, it's assumed by Jesus that we will do it, but not commanded by Jesus that we must do it. Christian fasting is, um, which... If you want to read something uh, this month, I would suggest that there's a book called A Hunger for God by John Piper. Um, I'll have some quotes from this 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 week um, today. And this is just a good book to read through to talk about the ins and outs of fasting. Um, But um, Christian fasting, as he says in this book, is birthed out of a homesickness for God. Whenever we find ourselves homesick for God, that's when we start fasting. Um. Fasting is always connected with prayer as you read through the scriptures. There's there's not a connection in the scriptures where someone's fasting and they're not also praying. So as we're going through this fast this month, um, all of you should have gotten one of these these guides. um, And I I would invite you just to go ahead and take your notes on this. You'll notice that um, I've done something different today. I've given you all the notes here. That we're going to be talking about instead of you having to write them all down. I want you to just listen. If God impresses something on you, then you have a little place where you where you can write and you can write those things. You want to keep this um, in your Bible the whole month because it's got everything on it. On the back, you'll see um, each Wednesday what we'll be praying for. And you'll you can see I want to commit to fast from this. And then you can have that and pray through that every week. And then you can also, as you're praying, flip back over and read the notes. If, if you want to just be reminded of some things, everything's on this one piece of paper. You don't need anything this month but this one piece of paper so make sure you have this um but what i was going to say is um christian fasting is birthed out of a homesickness for god um when we fast we say this quoting from the book my heart is hungry for all the fullness of god i long for a deeper work of god in the midst of his people I yearn for a mighty tide of missionary zeal to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ and all things for the joy of all peoples. I long to see unmistakable supernatural new birth taking place in in every in every week and out every week for through the compelling witness of God's transformed people wherever he is named. So it's a it's a yearning for God to start converting people at mass amounts of pe- at mass rates here in the city and, and abroad throughout all the nations. The reason why we fasted because we found ourselves spiritually in a place where we're saying this. I can't keep on going with the way things are. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said I just I can't keep going right now spiritually with the way things are. Something's got to give, something's got to change. I desperately need to see God come and move right now in my life. It's been too long since I have felt the way I used to feel. I used to once feel that way. I used to once be able to see Jesus in that certain way. And it's just been too long. 
My soul is anxious to see salvation. My heart is distressed because there's sin in my life that I just won't let go of. There's there's a deep desire for me to start experiencing growth in Jesus that I used to have that I don't now. I can't keep going right now with the way things are. And that's when we fast. That's when we fast. So we're going to get to the why now, and I'm going to answer the who, what, where, and when, but specifically, really, I'm just going to answer the why. Um, we'll answer the who, the what, the how, and all that as we talk about the why. So if you have your notes, you can go ahead and open them. Why would Remedy Church fast? Why would Remedy Church fast? And let me just kind of give you a, an overall idea of the way um, I came up with these four things. Typically, um, I just kind of pick one set of verses and I teach through those set of verses. And here you'll see that this is this is kind of a broader deal. And, and this is what we would call a topical sermon on fasting. So I just want to give you an idea of why I picked these specific, that's a tough word, these specific four things of why Remedy Church would fast. Um, what I did is I took the book of Revelation and the, Revel- the book of Revelation is just God's revealed ending to the way it's all going to happen. And so I saw some some pictures in Revelation that I think are great and glorious pictures that we as Christians should desire things that we should want to come to happen. And as I looked into Revelation and I saw these things, I thought these are great things. And there's only four that I put here. Of course, you can fast for more. These aren't the four exhaustive things to fast for. But I looked through the book of Revelation and I saw four four things that I think that would be great for us as Remedy Church to fast for. And you'll see this week as you as you pray, these are the things that we'll be praying for over the course of the next four weeks. Um, So you can see why would Remedy Church fast? We're going to fast to see Jesus. We're going to fast to desire to see the nations be converted. We're going to fast because the bridegroom's not yet here. And we're going to fast so that that we can hasten the day of the Lord. We're going to talk about all those things. All right. So number one from Revelation 117. um, Remedy Church needs to see Jesus. In Revelation 117, um, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, it says this in 117, when I saw him, John saw Jesus. And when he saw him, it wasn't like the disciples saw him as he was walking around earth. When John saw him, he saw Jesus in glory. He saw him in his fullness. He saw him in his absolute amazing state of glorified, glorified body. And it says, when I saw him, I fell dead at his feet. When we see Jesus in that way, that's what should happen when we see him in his fullness. And I thought, we need to see him like that. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. So when I say we need to see him, I'm not saying we need to see him in the same way that John saw. John saw him with his physical eyes. So I'm talking about the Ephesians 1.18 way of seeing. This is what Ephesians 1.18 says. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Note that. Eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he is called. So when I say we need to see Jesus, I'm talking about we need to see him with the eyes of our hearts. We need to let we need to petition and, and ask, Lord, would you grant us to see you? We want to fast and pray that you would grant us the ability as we fast and as we pray and as we let these longings start stirring up and these yearnings start stirring up inside of us. Would you grant us the ability to see you with the eyes of our hearts? Because I know if we see you, we would, as John did, fall dead at your feet figuratively. We would we would be so stirred and so amazed that we've seen him. We would be like Isaiah. Look what Isaiah what in, in Isaiah six. It says in the same way, John and Isaiah six, when it says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his road filled the temple. And it kind of keeps going on from Ephesians, I'm sorry, Isaiah 6. And when it gets to 5, this is what Isaiah's response was in verse 5. He said, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Notice what happened. When he saw Jesus in all of his glory, immediately he identified his sin. Immediately he saw his low position in contrast to the high position of the Lord seated on the throne. We need to see him to identify our low position in contrast to his high position on the throne. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So here's four reasons under that of why we need to see him. First of all, because we want to draw closer to him. 
In 2 Corinthians 3, it tells us this. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we behold the glory of the Lord, it says that we're being transformed into the same image. So the more we see Him with the eyes of our hearts, the more we really look upon Him in His fullness, the more He transforms us into His image, the more we become more like Jesus. That's unbelievable. And then after that, it says this in in, in part B. We want to stir the body of Christ towards repentance. You notice in Isaiah 6, 5, as soon as he saw Jesus, he immediately started repenting of his sin. He started identifying sin in his life and started saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in a people of unclean lips. It's the same idea in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, now on your, on your guide here, um, I had one little, one little dyslexic moment here. In Nehemiah, it says 3, 1 through 7. Just switch the 3 and the 1. It's actually Nehemiah 1, 3 through 7. All right? So anytime you see Nehemiah 3, 1 through 7 throughout here, it's actually just Nehemiah 1, 3 through 7. But this is what happened. Nehemiah went to the, to the city walls and they were all broken down. And it grieved his heart desperately that the people of Israel weren't um, walking with God the way that they should. And he saw that. And immediately when he saw the walls broken down, he called for um, fasting and praying. And as they were fasting and praying, this is what he said. As soon as they started fasting and praying, it says, I continue fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers of your servants that I now pray before you day and night. So we can see how constant he was in prayer. For the people of Israel and your servants, here it is, confessing the sins of the people of Israel in which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So when we come to God in fasting and prayer, there is an immediate identification of our sin. God just grants us that. Sometimes that's very painful. However, always, and I promise you, Always on the back end of that of that repentance, it's glorious. So when you come and it's painful, don't run. Work, do the hard work of repentance all the way through it, because first John one nine, first John one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why it's glorious at the end. Because he reminds us of Jesus and his work on the cross and that we are 100% righteous. We are 100% forgiven in in his eyes because of his work on the cross. And here's another reason that we that we want to see Jesus is because we want to conquer sin in our life. This is very much like the picture of Genesis 22, whenever um, there was a time where it says that Jacob wrestled with God And whenever he was wrestling with God, he said, I am not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go, God, until you bless me. And as we come to God, this is really bold praying. But as we come to God and we have this sin, we say, Lord, I'm not going to let go until you bless me, until you help me conquer this sin completely. Lord, I hate this sin as I see it now. I I don't see it well when I don't fast. But now that I am, I am immediately identifying it. And I need for you, Lord, to come and bless me and help me kill this sin in my life. So we'll wrestle wrestle with our sin and we'll want to conquer it in our life. And here's the next one. This is well, let me let me say this really fast um, about wrestling with God in prayer. This is from Jonathan Edwards. This is this is pretty amazing about how. How much we should be steadfast and how much we should continue on in prayer and not give up if it's not granted to us immediately. Jonathan Edwards, probably the best philosopher and theologian ever to come out of America. He lived in the 1700s. Genius. Just just a genius man. Father of 12 also. I don't even know how he did it. All right, this is what this is what he says. It is very apparent. Now there's lots of biblical precedent for this, but this is what he said about praying and being constant in prayer and not giving up if it's not first granted. It is very apparent from the word of God that often that God often tries the faith and patience of his people when they are crying out to him for some great and important mercy. God will try our patience. How? He tries their patience by withholding the mercy they seek for a season. 
Not only so, but at first he may cause an increase of dark appearances. And yet he, without fail, at last prospers those who continually continue urgently in prayer with all perseverance and will not let him go until he blesses him. So he may wait to bless us just to see how bad we want it. As a matter of fact, he may bring darkness upon us whenever we're asking for something because he wants to see how bad do we want it. Remedy Church, how bad do you want God to move? How bad do you want God to come and move in our church and bless us beyond amazement? Because it may be that in our, in our fasting and prayer at first, it may be difficult. It may even be a period of darkness. But if we stay constant, if we stay steadfast, if we say, Lord, we want it, we will not let go. Please, please, Lord, keep blessing it. He will remove the darkness and then bring the blessing. It's pretty amazing to think how steadfast. He wants to know how bad you want it. And as, as we come and fast and pray, that's why we say it. Lord, I feel these prayer, I feel these, this hunger. I thank you for this hunger pain. And more than this, this hunger pain, I want it to be a spiritual deep down desire that I want you, God, to come and move in my life, to move in my church. How bad do we want it? And here's the other thing. Um, and D. The reason why is because we want to have revealed to us any and all existing idols. Now, this is different than than the first one in B. In, in Isaiah 6, 5, he confessed his sin. In Isaiah 6, 5, as soon as he saw Jesus, he confessed his sin. But th- what I'm saying here is. When he saw God. He had the ability to discern what sin is. So, yeah, he confessed it. But also when he saw God, just take a step back, he was actually able to see it and discern it. And that's a gift from God when we fast. Sometimes without fasting, we won't even see our sin. Um, I, have, I have gone through periods of fasts in my life. Um, fasting for clarity on whether I should move. Fasting on clarity on whether I should take that job. Just fasting in general for um, the position that I'm in, that God would move in that church. And as I fasted, very, very quickly, very quickly, I find within myself desires for things. Oh, I just want that. If I'm fasting from media, oh, I want to go watch TV. Oh, I want to listen to, oh, I want to. Very immediately, I see within me a desire for those things. Or if I'm fasting from food, I'm like, oh, I just, and I start rationalizing. I can eat here, and if I eat this very quickly, fasting helps us when we fasted, when we fast. Very, very quickly be able to see desires in, in, our, in our hearts and minds that are not bad things. But sometimes we'll, we'll vie for power over God, vie for desire over God. We'll want those things more than we want Him. And so when we fast, He reveals to us any and all existing idols. So when He does that, we confess right away. This is a good gift when he does that. And so I guarantee you, if if the Lord moves your heart to want to participate in this fast, you will see idols in your life. Maybe not all of them, but some of them, maybe all of them, (laughs) but you will see them. And that's a that's an okay thing. And you want to ask God, please, Lord, help me as I see these things confess and repent. Fasting has this amazing effect that those things come to surface and we see them much more clearly. All right, so the next picture is in Revelation 7. Revelation 7 says this, which is our second one. Remedy Church desires to see the nations be followers of Jesus. Revelation 7 says this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude. So this is John in heaven looking at heaven and he's seeing a great multitude. What he's seeing is all those who are in Christ Jesus, all those who put their faith in Christ Jesus throughout all of human history are in heaven. And he's getting to see multitudes and multitudes of those who have put their faith in Jesus. And he says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. This is beautiful from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The reason why, the second reason why Remedy Church should fast is because we desire to see all the nations be followers of Jesus Christ. This isn't just a fast for Rock Hill. 
This is a fast for all the nations. That we would pray, that we would start asking God to direct this church more specifically on what we can be doing, not just here, but in all the countries in the world. How we can start sending aid, how we can start sending people, how we can start sending money, how we can start um, being used by God, not just here, but in all the nations. We know that Matthew 24, 14 says this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So this gospel will be preached to everyone in the world. We want this gospel to go to everyone. Now, how does this work? A. We want to petition God to come and move mightily for us on our behalf for his glory. For his glory. Ephesians 3 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Fasting for all the nations is saying, God, we need you to come. We can't even begin to Think of all the things that we can pray for. But God, we need you to come. And as we fast and as we pray that you would awaken our hearts and that you would see our desire to that, that we want you to move. And as you see that, that you would grant us the ability to see not just conversions here, but in all the nations. Fasting is always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus and his name and renown being known throughout all the worlds. I mean, all the countries in this world. Fasting is a temporary time where we don't have something in our life, whether it's food or media or whatever. We don't participate in something that's common in our life so that we can feast on Jesus, so that we can have more of him in our life. The time that we would spend doing that particular thing we're fasting from, we don't just remain neutral and go fill it with some other idol. Instead, we take that time to bring Jesus in and we say, Jesus, I don't want that. And as I feel a desire for that thing, whether it's food or media, instead, I'm going to fill it with you. I'm going to pursue you during this hour, during this 30 minutes that I have. I'm going to pursue you with everything I have that I'm going to say, God, I need for you to come and move mightily on our on our behalf. Fasting is about Jesus, where we're asking him, we're petitioning him to come and move for us. The next thing is this, that we. Another reason why we want all the nations to be followers of Jesus from Revelation, there's there's a pretty dreary, sad picture, and we don't want this. You'll see right here in B, we do not want those whom we love who do not know Jesus. And, And I can just say also those whom we don't necessarily know yet, but just everyone. But we do not want those whom we love who do not know Jesus to be destroyed. That's the fate of those who are outside of Christ. And let me just, from Revelation 19, give you two pictures of their end. Those who don't know Jesus. And as we hear this, I'm praying that God would let you see the end of them. And that it would stir such emotions within you that you would not want that to be their end. Revelation 19. And this is the same kind of picture. Revelation 14 says, So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth. What he's doing is he's gathering all of those who don't know Jesus and gathering them in. And threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. Now, when you make wine, you take all the grapes and you put it down there and you just stomp all of the grapes until the juice just comes out. And what you have in the end is wine. And what he's saying is the picture of unbelievers. This is just a picture. He says he he brought all those and he gathered them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside of the city. And instead of juice, the picture is it's blood and the blood flowed from the wine press as high as the horse's bridle for 16,000 stadia. Listen to Revelation 19. It says, From his mouth, talking about Jesus, comes a sharp sword from which to strike down the nations. And he will rule over them with a rod of iron. And here it is. He will tread the winepress. It's a picture of God as he is being just. 
treading the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. What it's saying is all those who are outside of God, who don't know Jesus, God the Father must remain just. And so what he is doing is he's treading the winepress. All of those who are unbelievers are being tread upon and they're being defeated and they're being judged. And, and the picture is, is that there's so much judgment coming out. It's the full fury of the wrath of God being poured out of them that the, instead of juice, it's their blood flowing out and it's filling the streets. And we don't want those whom we love outside of Jesus to have that be their future. It's horrible. The end is terrible. We should not let ourselves just be so kind of numb to the fact that those outside of Jesus will be eternally, consciously tormented. And when we fast, there is a heightened awareness. There's a heightened desire Whenever we're around people, this has happened in my own life. Whenever I'm around people that are not Christians, I just start weeping in my soul. God, I know their future. Lord, and we don't pray for opportunities anymore. Because if we look around, we talked about this in our small group this past Thursday. We have opportunities all over the place. Instead, we pray for boldness in those opportunities to share the gospel. Because we are beside them. And as we know their future, the weight of it lands on our shoulders and drives us down with such need. We pray and we say, Lord, give me the boldness to share with them. I don't want their future to be that. That's horrible. Give, give me, Lord, the emotions to feel the right things that I should feel. The deep desires to be so concerned for them that I, I would not want that to be their future. And when you feel that, Remy Church, when you feel that, you will share the gospel. You will tell them about Jesus. Because though they might not want to hear it, you know their future. And you can't help but say, with deep compassion and love in your eyes, just like Romans 9, 2, where Paul says, I have unceasing anguish for those who are outside of Christ. With tears in your eyes, you plead with them to come to know Jesus. All right. Here's the third picture. Remedy Church fasts because the bridegroom is not yet with us. In, in, in Revelation 19, um, there's a picture one day that the church, who is his bride, um, will be united with the bridegroom, the husband, Jesus, and there will be a feast. This is what it says. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down on his feet to worship him. And he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, notice there's there's a marriage supper. There's a time where we will. As the bride of Christ have a marriage supper. Now, I'm going to take you over to. And I just invite you to turn with me, if you would. Matthew 9. This is probably the, the, uh, the most insightful or the biggest text on fasting in the Bible. There's not a whole lot in, in the Bible. But this, in, in Matthew 9, is probably the, the, the biggest text on fasting in the Bible. And you'll see it in Matthew 9, starting at verse 14 and 15. Matthew 9, starting at verse 14 and 15. Um, and and here's, the, here's what's going on. Um, <clears throat> when Jesus was doing his ministry, there were some who were still kind of following John. And those who were following John um, were ascetics. Ascetics just mean they, they kept their body from having things. Asceticism is just kind of like those who are monastic or monks. They, they fast from things continually. Um, they, they practice um, keeping the flesh from having its desires. And so those who were following John were practicing fasting. But those who were following Jesus, and it all gets straightened out in the end. The people who followers of John follow Jesus, and you know it all gets straightened out in the end. But the people who were following Jesus weren't fasting at all. And so it says here in 19, the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they're like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And Jesus answers them um, in verse 15. Probably the most insightful verse on fasting in the Bible. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Jesus is the bridegroom and he's with them. There's no reason to be upset. I'm here with you. Here I am. 
So can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taking away from them and then they will fast. All right. So let's just kind of lift some observations up from that and see some things. Number one, Jesus is teaching them some stuff. Fasting is generally associated with mourning. Whenever he's with them, that you don't mourn. But when he's gone, there is mourning. So fasting is associated with mourning. Here's the second thing. Um, Jesus is um, obviously claiming to be the Messiah here. He's saying, I am the bridegroom. I am the husband. I'm the, I'm the Messiah. And I'm here right now. And everything's good because I'm here. But, but when I leave, the Messiah himself is gone. He won't be here. And then you'll fast. So he's claiming deity. He's claiming Jesus. He's claiming his Messiahship right here. So those are some of the things that we can see. But another observation is that now the bridegroom is not here. Jesus has died on the cross and has ascended into heaven. So now we are not like the disciples. We do not have the bridegroom here. And so he says very clearly, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. You'll see the then. All right. It's assumed that we will fast, not commanded. Then they will fast. Therefore, Piper says fasting is for times of yearning and aching and longing and mourning. Why are we mourning this this mourning or this yearning or this longing? And I want you to hear this, okay? because it's really easy to kind of confuse categories here. Um, Even in my study, I was writing out, I was writing out, we should be longing and aching for. And I started writing out sentences and I looked back at the text. I was like, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. The yearning or the, the mourning or the longing is not over sin. It's not over personal sin. I was thinking we should be mourning over our personal sin. We should be mourning over the fact that people are lost. That's not what he says here. Though those things are absolutely appropriate to mourn for. Okay? Right here, he's saying that we should be mourning because we don't have the bridegroom. We don't have Jesus right here with us. Now, in a sense, you can say, I have the bridegroom. What are you talking about? I'm a Christian. I have him in my heart. He lives inside of me. And in a sense, you're right. Yes, absolutely. But listen to this paragraph. Um, This is from John Piper in in this book. This is what he says. It's true that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit in his absence, that he, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of Jesus. So in a profound and wonderful sense, Jesus is still with us. He said, speaking of the comforter, which is the spirit, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Nevertheless, here it is. There is a greater degree of intimacy that we will enjoy with Christ in heaven when this age is over. Right? We're enjoying him in a sense right now. But the sense in which we'll enjoy him when we're in heaven has got to be more better. Better. That's why we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 8... We prefer to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. That's what we see in Philippians 1.21. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1.23. To depart and be with Christ is much better. In other words, in this age, there is an ache inside of us. There is a yearning. There is a longing. There is a, a mourning. Because inside every Christian that Jesus is not here as fully and as intimately and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be. We hunger for so much more than what we have right now. That is why we fast. So this mourning that we should be having, this aching is not over sin. It's not over the loss. Those those things are appropriate. This mourning is because we don't have the bridegroom now in his fullest sense. Oh, man, this is where it gets pretty, 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 pretty convicting. Because we have a lot of stuff. We've got our families. We've got our, we've got our friends. We've got our houses. We have security. We live in, the, in, in one of the best countries in the world. And it's very, very easy for us to go day by day and never mourn or ache or yearn or long for the bridegroom. I mean, honestly, let's just ask a rhetorical question right here. When's the last time you mourned or yearned or ached for the bridegroom, if you're in Christ? When's the last time you just felt this, this weight fall on your shoulders and say, I don't have Jesus in his fullest sense right now. 
or you know, I've got my family and I'm loving that. And, I've, and listen, I'm not saying those things are bad. It's great to have a family. It's great to have a job. It's great to have a house. Those are gifts. But when we we worship those gifts over the giver of the gifts, when we long and ache and yearn for things instead of the one who gives us those things. That's idolatry. We fast because we want the bridegroom. We want him. We fast because he taught us to. There's another place in Matthew 6 when he's, he's preaching the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 16, when you fast. And this is just good, good practical application for us as we fast over the month of August to keep us from pride. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, don't let people know you're fasting. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Yes, we're fasting corporately. And we all know that each other might be fasting certain things. But the idea is the whole principle behind that is don't be prideful. Oh, I feel it whenever I fast for things. I want so desperately to let people know, oh, I'm spiritual. Look at me. I fasted from this and that over these course of certain amount of time. Oh, I'm so spiritual. Just ask me. Ask me why I'm not having a meal right now. So I can let you know. I'm fasting. It's so, so easy to feel that sense of pride well up within us. And I just want to plead with you over this month. Kill that immediately. When you feel that, kill that immediately. We are not looking at other churches like we're fasting. What's going on with you? We're not looking at each other in the church. How come you're not fasting and I am? Or we're not looking at them. Oh, you're only fasting that. (laughs) Well, I'm fasting. Look at my card. Kill that immediately. That is not about Jesus at all. We fast because he's taught us to, and we are fasting because we are beseeching our sovereign God provisions for our needs. And there's many needs that we can list out there, whether it's physical or financial or spiritual, emotional or social, familial, marital, mental. There's all kinds of needs that we can list out personally and corporately. And and you'll see even in, in our prayer guide, some of the things that we'll ask for you to pray for over this next month. Lastly, let's just move um, rather quickly. Remedy Church desires to hasten the day of the coming of the Lord Jesus. In Revelation 22, it says this. Behold, I am coming soon. Revelation 22, 7. Um, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He's telling you, I'm coming. Another in verse 12 and 13. I am coming soon. Bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, last and the beginning and the end. And then verse 20, who testifies about these things? Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We want him to come. So we are fasting. And we've talked about this as we're going through um, First John. The second coming ushers in for us a time where we sin no more. When the second coming happens... If it happens in our lifetime, and we don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime. We just know that it hasn't happened yet, so we pray for it to happen. When it happens, you and I are free from sin. I mean, think about this for a second. You will not do anything out of selfish motives or sinful motives. You won't do it because you want someone to kind of halfway praise you and Jesus. You'll want all of the prayer to go to Jesus. I can't even comprehend that. And then Revelation 4. Um, this is just ridiculously awesome. If you hadn't read, read Revelation in a long time, Revelation 4, you just should incorporate this in some of your, in your, some of your daily reading and get yourself pumped up about Jesus and all his glory. And I just want to, before we go to this, I want you to remind you who, the, who we're reading about, okay? This is the guy that came and lived a perfect life, did not have to come for us, died for us on the cross, and was defeating, defeated Satan, sin, and death, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, for us, continually interceding for us on our behalf. All of our sin has been paid for as Christians. That's the guy we're talking about here. The beautiful, beautiful Savior. Look at Revelation 4. This is why we pray that we can hasten this day. We will get to have this day right here happen to us. After this, I looked and behold, 
a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which had, <clears throat> I had heard coming to speak to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. We're, we're asking for this. Now, I can't, I can't read Revelation 4 without pointing you up to a glorious, glorious verse in 321. Now, don't miss this. I'm not saying this is about me. And I'm not saying this is about you. But I'm trying to say this is how good our God is. Look at 321. To him who conquers. That's talking about us. To him who conquers. I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So, you and I will be seated And I don't know what it's going to look like. I just know that's what the verse says on the throne with him. And let's look at what's happening on the throne. And he said, let's let's flip down to middle of six and around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind the first living creature, like a lion, the second, like an ox, the third, like a face of a man, the fourth, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around with him and day and night. They never cease to say here it is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All of us are praying for the day where we can be there at the throne with Jesus and we can join in with all of them being able to give all of our praise to the one who died for us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Keep going. And when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders... Fell down before him, fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship. This is proskuneo. This is coming forward, bowing down on their face and just worshiping him with everything that's within him. It says they worship him who, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, and we will all get to join in his second coming, get to join this glorious picture of the heavens where we can sit in front of the throne or on the throne or whatever it's going to be like and sing out to our great glorious Savior who saved us. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and they were created. That is a great glorious picture that we are fasting that we can one day be a part of and see sooner then later, because all the things that are in this world don't even come close to how great and glorious that day will be. That's why we fast. That's pretty amazing. Why now? Why now? Here we've come to the most important question. Remedy Church started in January of 2009. We're about a year and a half old, and we've seen God move and work. We've seen God's change people's hearts. We've seen some salvations, actually. Um, Though it's not always like instantly told to us, hey, I I became a Christian. We've kind of heard later on that we've seen that. We've seen baptisms where God's um, allowed us the opportunity to to let people publicly profess to people. Um, And so I ask myself, are those things good? Absolutely. Should we pray for more? Absolutely. And I've already qualified everything I've said from the beginning. It's not because I'm wanting Remedy Church to numerically grow. uh, Because I want Jesus to grow with all of our affections for him and, and be known in this city that we can't walk around Rock Hill and try to tell people about Jesus when they already I'm already a Christian. It'll be tough to find a convert. That's how we that's how we want him to move. So I've been thinking and praying and asking God over this whole summer um, and having conversations and um, asking for his loving guidance for us and for an outpouring of his spirit into our church. And after a lot of prayer and reading through his word um, and asking his spirit to come and he's impressed upon me that for the course of August, that we would seek him through fasting and prayer for the month of August, that we as a church would seek and ask, Lord, you may not do anything, but even if you don't do anything, let let me give you a picture. Yesterday, um, I'm just really hard headed. So yesterday I was I was mowing my grass and I couldn't get my little edger started. And so I stood there and 20 minutes, I'm just yanking that. Come on, come on, come on. I did it for so long. I'm not kidding. I have one, two, three, four, five. I have five blisters on my fingers because I was I was going to get that thing started. I mean, I was going to I was I was so intent. I was so focused. I was so it's got to happen. Getting that thing started. I, I just started ripping my fingers apart. Now I feel it every time I wash my hands. Um, especially if it's hot water. 
How much more so would we need to say, God, I will not stop. If it causes blisters on my knees, I will stand here and I will plead with you to please come and use us mightily. And if you if you don't grant it this week, if you don't grant it this month, next month, next year, you're going to find me on my knees, on my face, saying, I still need you, God, to come and bless us to move in our lives. I still need my friend to be saved. I still need for you to help me kill the sin in my life. I want you, God, more than I want anything. In Luke 18, there's a picture of, of a of a lady who keeps going to this unjust master Asking him for stuff. And finally, he's like, okay, you bothered me enough. I'll give it to you. <laughs> well, God's not unjust. He's just. So if she would keep petitioning the unjust master, he finally says, okay, how much more will our great glorious God, if we keep petitioning him, asking him, will he say, I love you. Blessings. So as we come here, we want to emphasize as Remedy Church each day for this on Wednesdays. Of course, you can do more. You can fast the whole month if you want. But we as a church corporately want to emphasize these days on Wednesdays. Um, and whatever God would be leading you to, to fast, um, that's okay. You don't have to fast food if you're not medically capable or if you just can't do that. You know, if you have a deal where you're outside all day and you need to eat food in order to live, well then... <laughs> You need to fast from something else. Um, the main idea is that each Wednesday, whatever you're fasting from, what, you're setting aside that thing and that you're going to take this prayer card and you're going to feast on Jesus during that time through prayer and through asking him that he would come and move in our church. Reasons not to fast are these. Don't fast if you're just faking a false desire for God to move. Don't fast if you just feel guilty because you think people in the church are doing it and you're not. And don't fast just because you want to be prideful and show people that you're spiritual. Instead, fast because there is a yearning. There is a deep affections for Christ growing with inside of you that you finally come to the place you said, I, I can't keep going with the way things are. I need you, God, to come now. And even if you don't move with the way I'm asking, I will keep petitioning you anyway. I need for you to come. Let me close with this, this quote, and then we're going to have a time where you can <clears throat> on here where it says, I commit to fast from whatever you can fill that in. Now you can take the next couple of days to fill that in. And like I said, it can be anything, it can be food, it can be media, it can be coffee. Um, guys, don't fast from showering. No one wants that. Um, you can fast from anything that you want. Um, but fill that time that you're fasting from something to feast on Jesus. Let me close with this. The more deeply you walk with Christ, the hungrier you get for Christ. The more homesick you get for heaven. The more you want all the fullness of God. The more you want to be done with sin. The more you want the bridegroom to come again. The more you want the church revived and purified with the beauty of Jesus. The more you want a great awakening to God's realities in the cities. The more you want to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ Penetrate the darkness of all the unreached peoples of the world. The more you want to see false worldviews yield to the force of truth. The more you want to see pain relieved and tears wiped away and death destroyed. The more you want to long, the more you long for every wrong to be made right and the justice and the grace of God to fill the earth like waters cover the sea. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. Instead, it is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God and it can be awakened. I invite you to turn from the dulling effects of food and the dangers of idolatry and to say with some simple fast this much as I feel this pain within me this much. Oh, God, I want you. That's what I'm inviting you into this month. We're all being invited into something great. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. For your word, and I pray, Lord. For all of us, that as we consider right now, as we pray through 
whether you would have us fast, whether you would have us partner um, with those in our church, in our congregation, that we would we would say, yes, I want to get rid of these certain things throughout the month of August or on the day of Wednesday throughout August. I want to get rid of that in order to feast on you as we pray through this, Lord, as we decide whether you're impressing on our soul or not, Lord, that we would immediately ask you to kill any sense of pride. Lord, that you would put in us instead a yearning, a longing for the bridegroom, a yearning, a longing for the affections for Jesus to be stirred within us. And Lord, however you're leading us, that we would be honest and that we would be led by the Spirit and we would obey. Would you, God, grant that to us this morning? We thank you for this gift of fasting. And we know, Lord, that this can only happen by a divine work in our lives. And so as we, as we go through this month, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be full on us. And that we would sense your spirit and that we would pray deeply for the things of Christ in this church and in our lives. We love you, Father. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.